The following is a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. What we're talking about today is an incredibly tough message. Uh, it's about when God asks us to do something and it feels like it's too much. And at points in my life, there have been moments where God's asked me to do something and I've went, I, God, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another plan. There's got to be somebody else who you can call to do this because I certainly don't want to do that. We're going to look in at, at Matthew chapter 19 where we have the story of the rich young ruler. We're all familiar with that story. The interesting thing, and I'll give you the little preview with, with Matthew 19, is that Jesus didn't chase after the rich young ruler when he left. And sometimes that's what I feel like is God asked me to do something and I'd rather have God nagging at me rather than just taking his hands off and kind of washing his hands of it and going, well, I, I, I guess you don't want to be used by me. It comes back to that, that promise that he gives us in Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. We sometimes struggle with that. I struggle with that. And so we're going to look in at that. I want to start with a little story. I'm going to read it just for a few minutes. It'll preface this incredibly well. In his best-selling book, Halftime, Bob Buford tells a story that is very similar to the story that we're going to read from, from Matthew 19. At age 44, Buford found himself at the apex of what he defined as success, even what the world would define as success. He had paralyzed a modest cable television business into a profitable empire. He was driving fancy cars. He was splitting his homes in between certain locations. He was able to travel wherever and do whatever he wanted to do. Like some who have climbed the, the summit of Mount Everest, Bob found himself at the top of the world wondering why he felt more aware of the wind and cold than he was of the view. He said this, All my life I've been great at developing strategic plans for business. But now I, I realized I needed a plan for myself. Spread out my, my jumbled dreams and desires. I made lists of strengths and weaknesses, the things that I thought I should do, things that I should abandon. It was a time of, of deep contemplation, of deep wrestle. He came to the place of going, what should I do now? I, where should I invest my talents, my time, my treasure? What are the values that give purpose to my life? What is the overarching vision that, that I actually have for my life? Who am I? Where am I going? I know that at, at 46, those questions still remain as important as when I was 18 or 16 or 22. Amidst this blizzard of confusion, God brought into Buford's life a, a management consultant, a guy by the name of Mike. He directed this great central planning of a stunning list of corporate giants. Mike was a self-proclaimed atheist, but God used him to, to sow into Bob's life this question of what's in your box, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What's actually in your box and if you can't wrestle with that image I want you to wrestle with this image what's in your carry-on suitcase if that helps you 
Uh, Mike went on to relate an experience he had consulting with a group of, of Coca-Cola executives. He asked these the same question to them, what's in your box or what's in your carry-on luggage? Why do you do what you do, he asked the Coke executives. And they thought for a minute and they gave this simple answer. We're about great taste. That's what's in the box for us. From there, the Coca-Cola executives went up to conduct a vast array of different taste tests. They came up with this new formula and some of us will remember that new formula. It tasted even better than the original formula. It was new Coke. And then they faltered. Desperate in that faltering of new Coke, Mike met with this group and said, you must have put the wrong word in the box. So let's try again. They realized that pulling Coca-Cola from the market was a huge mistake. So then they came up with this theme of, let's, let's go with the theme of American tradition. And that's where the name Classic Coke or Coca-Cola Classic came. Mike let the, the story sit in with, with Bob. Bob, I've been listening to you for a couple of hours. You've told me a lot about your interests, a lot about your passions. I'm going to tell you what's in the box for you or the carry-on luggage I can tell you that for you, it's either going to be money or it's going to be Jesus. If you can tell me which it is, then we can make this really easy. It can get really simple. The strategic plan can, can be done incredibly fast. If you can't, you're going to be stuck between the two values and you'll always be confused. Bob said, no one has ever asked such a direct question to me. After a few minutes, which seemed like hours, he said, you know what, I'm going to put Jesus in that box. Buford said this, to put Jesus Christ in the, the box, I found is actually a paradox. It is to break down the walls of the box and allow the power and grace of his life to invade every aspect of our own life. I still had loyalties to my wife, to my work, to my friends, and to my projects, but Christ became the center. And that's when I gave my life to him and had great balance and wholeness. If you have your Bibles, turn to, to Matthew 19. As we read this story, we want to be very mindful of, of what's happening. We don't want to read it just like a history book. We don't want to read it just to get a collection of facts that tell us who Jesus is. We actually want to allow Jesus to permeate in us and start to go, who do I see myself in as this story? Am I the rich young ruler? Am I the disciples? Do I have the same response as, as, as them? Let's pray. We certainly don't want this to be an exercise where we just hear Matt's words. We want to hear God's words, so let's pray. God, in the next few minutes, it's going to be really easy to hear Matt's words, Matt's thoughts, Matt's ideas. We want to hear your thoughts. So God, put me so far in the background that my friends do not see Matt. They truly hear the words that are from you. We pray that you would be a God who would speak boldly to us, that the evil one would not have an influence and change words or make us feel a certain way, but that your perfect plan, your perfect peace would come over us, 
We give you permission to speak to us. We want to hear from you. God, if you need to change things on my page, we want that to be an exercise where we truly model obedience to you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, so use your imagination. I always was irritated with my girls when I would buy a gift for them. You know, Toys R Us this week is, is closing down business. Another one of our big box stores that kind of has ceased to exist. The interesting thing is I'd buy my girls the Barbie toy or the, the uh, Playmobil something. And what they would do is they would take it out of the box. And we all remember this as, as parents. It takes you forever to get those little strings off that are so tight. And then you have to find batteries and a screwdriver to unhook the thing. Well, they'd play with the toy for about 10 minutes. And then guess what they would start to play with? The box. Because the box has endless opportunities. The toy has one purpose. And when we come into God's Word, we have to open ourselves up with that. Rather than just coming in, looking, going, okay, this is information. It's just going to give me more information. I'm going to learn more about God. We actually have to let God, as He says, it's living, it's active, it cuts. So over the next few minutes, I want you to use your imagination going, okay, where do I see myself in this story? Matthew chapter 19, look at verse 16. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, it's an interesting response, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? We could look at all different translations. They're all going to say the same thing. Jesus... What do I do because I want what you have? I want to get something. Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. That's like me a lot of times. Is it the whole list or is it just kind of some of the list? Is it like a buffet? I can kind of choose what I want. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your mother and father, love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's where the man, and some of us might be going, no, I'm starting to see myself in the story, all these things I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the, man, the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Don't get hung up on, some of us are going to get hung up on the, well, I don't really have a lot of money. Like, Matt, if you looked at my bank account, I'm not rich. Put whatever you want in there. So whatever you want to throw in your box, whatever you want to throw in your carry-on baggage, it might be, man, I really have a great family, God. And, and that's what's in my box. Or, God, I really like my job. That's in my box. Or I really like my hobbies. That's in the box. I really like this. Whatever's in our carry-on bag, we throw. So don't just get hung up on the word rich. It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier 
for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Once again, we have Peter enter the story. We always love Peter. He comes in blazing. We have left everything to follow you. Jesus, we're in. What will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious thrones, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And that would be really cool. We would go like this. Yes, that sounds awesome. Like, look at those things I get. Then there's that last zinger that Jesus throws in. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Well, let's unpack that quickly, just for a few minutes. Another young man, this young ruler, stood on top of the Mount of Everest of success, very similar to the story that we read about Bob. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus replied by saying something really simple. Love God and follow his ultimate plan for your life. Don't murder, don't do all those things. What do I still lack was the question that the individual asked. What am I, what am I missing? In other words, I'm doing all the right things. I'm managing as well as I know of. So why don't I feel like my life is significant? Some of you this morning, that's going to be a wrestle that we have. God, I'm, I'm just doing these things. God, I look at everybody else and they're, they're doing some amazing things and here's me just kind of plodding along, God. I just don't feel like my life is significant. Why don't I feel like my life is in, integrated? How do I get that eternal quality of life rather than just looking to heaven? And that's a problem we have a lot of times. Is one day, we talk in those terms, one day when we get to heaven, one day... But what does it actually look like to have that quality of life, that, that availability that God gives us to have life to the full that, that God talks about in, in John chapter 10? How do I have health and wholeness, grace and goodness, the peace and power that I see in you, Jesus, that you keep talking about? What do I still lack? Jesus answered the young ruler really clear, and I love that the disciples were probably standing in the background just kind of listening in to see what Jesus would say because they had the same concerns. Jesus, you recruited us. One day you're going to be the king. Why are we still just trying to find food? Why are we still going from town to town? Why don't people like us? As that man asked, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, what you lack is the right thing in the box. Many trips I've made where I pull my carry-on bag and I get to my hotel at the night and I open up my bag to find, oh, I forgot my underwear. Oh, I forgot my toothbrush. Oh, wow, I'm wearing my jeans, the same jeans for the next four days. I thought it was in the, the carry-on bag. I mean, I went through that mental list. I mean, I fly a lot of times. Why is it not in there? 
Well, that's like life. We, we think we have some things in the, in the carry-on bag or the box that, that fits perfectly, but it, they just aren't. And Jesus looks at this, this ruler and says, you're going to have to take out what's in there and actually put something else in there. In your case, because you're rich, I'm going to recommend that you actually give all your possessions to the, the poor and get this treasure in heaven, then you can come and follow me. But what does our text say in Matthew 19? When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. It had him. So the question this morning, before we, we progress any further, is what has you? What is the mainspring, the driving force, the ruling consideration in your life? What's in your box? Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it the belief that if you just have something more, life will be even better? Is it approval? I just need everybody to like me. Do you think that if you can just please everyone, you're going to feel a lot better? Maybe for some of you, it's order and control. Are you one of those people who feel that if you can just get your life organized, if you could just have a day where you could get everything figured out, if you could just get through your to-do list, if you could just have that inbox at zero, things will be really good. Is it knowledge that you have in the box? You think, one of these days I'm going to know just enough that it will all come together. Is it power? Are you someone that feels that if you can just get the upper hand, if you can just get from, out from under, then all will be at well. What's in your box? On some level, and on different days, I think that I have all of those things in my box, my carry-on bag. I think I actually carry a lot of boxes, or I actually have too many carry-on bags. I don't often check my bags, Usually I'm moving so fast that all I do is simply drag them along with me. Or, like for some of you that travel, it was in my bag the last time. Why isn't it there this time? And for us, we're constantly wrestling with this, what's in our bag, in moments of quietness, and what Lent actually has done for me and for others is it allows us to open up our box and actually look inside. It's humbling for me to realize how much my life is ruled by what's in my box. The ancient desert fathers of the Christian tradition believed that at the bottom of everyone's box or carry-on bag is one of these three things. And if you're doing your sermon notes, here they come. For some people, it's anxiety. This rolling worry that I'm not perfect enough, I'm not loved enough, I don't have enough competence. That's the first one, that it's anxiety. For other people, it's fear at the bottom. We're just scared. A sense that everything's going to fall apart. My life is threatened if I don't protect myself in some way. Still, others have anger at the bottom of their box. That's the third one, a simmering resentment. That things aren't as they should be. I'm not treated fairly. That everyone else is the issue. When you check your box or your carry-on bag carefully, 
What's in there? How is that shaping your life? Jesus once said this in, in Matthew 7, wide, 13 and 14, wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. A lot of you, says Jesus, want an eternal quality of life. You like this. You're like the rich young ruler. I'm doing all the right things. But that one thing, Jesus says that a lot of you are like camels laden with bags and boxes filled with stuff that just won't get through the gate. For some of you, think of your carry-on bag the last time that you were in an airplane. Did they change the carry-on bag size? Because it doesn't fit. And some people, when I travel, I'm like, how did they get through the gate? And they're trying to stuff the bag up in that upper, in the carry-on bag compartment, and it just doesn't fit. It'll never fit. And for us, Jesus says, I don't want you to have this huge bag that you just carry. The Bible says that when the disciples heard this and we read this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Us actually stewarding our bag is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus comes to you and me. He wants to do only what God can do to make things possible. He actually wants to change the, the formula that's in our box, the contents that are in our box, and in doing so actually change the trajectory or the shape of our lives. We'd use a word transformation. It's different than change. Change is simply me just going to buy a different bag or a different box. Transformation is where I go. I'm going to put the hard work to actually know what's in my box and get rid of things in my box. Transformation is what a butterfly goes through. Transformation is what I find a car in a farmer's field that has been abandoned for 20 years, and I invest the time to actually rebuild that car and restore it to its original condition and intent. That's the business that God's in with us. If like Bob and so many others before and since him, we want to have a better life, we need to allow Jesus to replace what's in our box. Maybe it's anxiety for you. Imagine Jesus lifting up your anxiety from the box, taking it out and setting it aside. He says this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also in me. Perhaps it's, it's fear that's ruining your life. Matt, I think God's calling me here, but I'm just scared. Matt, I think God wants me to have that conversation with the neighbors in my neighborhood, but what if they don't like me? Picture Jesus picking that out of your box and replacing it with his presence. He says this 17 times in the New Testament. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. I'm with you always. Maybe for you it's anger that's in your bag. Imagine the nail-pierced hands of Jesus taking out that feeling, looking in your eyes and saying, I'm filling your heart right now and giving you the power to love your enemies. To forgive those who know not what they do 
and to forgive as you have been forgive as you have been forgiven. Jesus can take all that destructive anguish that lives within the carry-on bag or the box of our heart. He can replace anxiety with faith and fear with hope and anger with love. As he becomes the main thing in our bag or our box, it alters the way that we do things. It alters the way that we spend our money. It alters the way that we use our time. It changes the level to which we seek human approval versus God's approval. It transforms the manner in which we react when we don't have order and control. It'll convert the purposes that we have where we put our knowledge in the way that we use our power. On the screen, there's going to be two slides, two great verses for us. John 12 is a great reminder. Don't be afraid. See, your king is coming. Our king is returning. Luke 6, 35, love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Some of you have lent your neighbor something and you want it back. Don't let it come back. Your reward is great. You will be sons of the Most High. I love this description of Jesus. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Or, all this is for naught. We can be like the Pharisees. Jesus looked at them and said, I know that you believe you've reached the summit of success. I know that you feel like every around, everybody around you needs to change. But woe to you, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of everything unclean. I've seen your box. I've seen your bag. Change what's in there. And presented with that chance for new life, the religious leaders simply just sealed their box tighter, held their carry-on bag closer and said, you know what? I think we'd rather crucify him. The interesting piece for us today, and I'm going to give you a few words that I want you to wrestle with as we go in this week. I shared it last week with the, the gang at, at Camp Caroline. That for us to actually reflect Jesus to the world, it's pretty simple. Every day, when you wake up, you need to go, it's not about me, you need to surrender. Because the Christian life starts in surrender. When we started this journey of following Jesus, we went, Jesus, I no longer want to be king of, this, this, of my life. I want you to take control. It started in surrender. Unfortunately, the majority of us, that's the last time we surrendered. And so God calls us to surrender. And surrender looks like us going, it's not about me. God, it's about you. When we choose not to surrender, that's where life gets really hard. Surrender actually is Jesus going, it's just my way and my way is best. My way is perfect. My way will bring you great success. And so we start in surrender. And surrender is something that I would love if we could, as adults, show students, they would be changed. Because they are looking, going, Jesus says every day that we need to deny ourselves and take up the cross. And for us, a lot of us adults, when somebody actually models surrender, we look at them and we say, that guy's weird. 
Why would he give away his coat? Why would he do this? Why would he do that? It's not normal for us. It's not a normal part of our world. So we start in surrender. And coming out of surrender, then there's this great word of abiding. How do we actually, how do we actually walk with Jesus? How do we sojourn? How do we actually listen to his heartbeat? Abiding with Jesus is what, what Jesus did every day when he went to connect with his Father. Throughout Scripture, we see him saying, early in the morning, he spent time with his Father. Early in the morning, he went, and the disciples were looking for him because they wanted to get their day going. If we surrender and we abide every day, then guess what? The only person we can reflect is Jesus. And for so long in my life, what was in my bag was working to reflect Jesus. Like, if I just work harder, then I'll reflect Jesus better. If I just study harder, then I'll reflect Jesus better. If I just do the right things, then I'll reflect Jesus better. And Jesus made it really simple for us. He just went, surrender, abide, then you will just reflect me. If you don't believe me, just pick any disciple with any story and you will quickly see them going, I'm going to do something because this is what I think is right. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to abide and see what their result is. Always failure. Stephen is one of the greatest examples in Acts chapter 8 and 9. Stephen is getting pushed out of the city because of the message that he's communicating. The message that nobody liked. And as stones are getting thrown at Stephen, he says this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Where did he learn that from? Jesus. I don't know about you, but getting stones thrown at you, I probably wouldn't be going, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You have to be in a posture of surrender to do that. May that be us. God, may the words that I said truly reflect your heartbeat. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. Lord, may you teach us how to keep evaluating our box. May we not throw things here on earth in the box that just bring comfort to us, things that we think we have to have. May we live lives of abandon. May we actually keep our eyes focused on you. May we be like Zacchaeus who climbed a tree because he knew if he saw Jesus, he would be changed. May that be true of us today. We love you, we adore you, we worship you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people.